So as you can see from this introductory slide, we're continuing in the book of Ephesians this evening. We're going to cover uh, the last verses up to the closing. So 6.10 through 20, uh, titled Stand in Warfare. And uh, we'll uh, look at where we've been, where we've come, and... uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun because there's some really interesting stuff in these ten little verses, and uh, we've uh, we've prepared some uh, uh, some uh, pictorial slides, so uh, we'll uh, we'll go with that. So uh, In, uh, in applying the doctrines, it, Ephesians is d- divided in half. In the first three chapters, you've got some wonderful doctrines about the call of the believers, in specifically the, the Ephesian believers. And in four through six, you've got a whole raft of imperatives that given their, their call, to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And Paul gives a lot of instruction in this area. And so, and in applying those doctrines that he laid out very well in chapters 1 through 3, Paul uses the imperative to walk. Peripateo, uh, he used it five times in uh, connection with uh, uh, an inferential conduction, therefore. And it's all the way through, therefore, therefore, therefore. Uh, I recall, and I've said it before from, from this position, when I first looked at, had any interest in Ephesians, and I asked, I asked Pastor Dave, when we see that, we see that, therefore, uh, where does that take us back to? Uh, because it looks like it takes you all the way back to the beginning of the book. And yeah, it does. And so we had, we had a series of these uh, Believers are to walk in unity in Ephesians 4.1 in a manner worthy of their calling. Uh, believers to walk in holiness, not as Gentiles in Ephesians 4.17. To walk in love, Ephesians 5.1 and 2. Walk in the light, abstaining from involvement with evildoers and their works in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. To walk in wisdom. Chapter 5, verse 15. Be careful how you walk. Walk in the filling of the Holy Spirit in an extensive section of exhortation about the household codes from Ephesians 5:17 through Ephesians 5:21, where we have the be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the result that you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And on and on. And then we, the first time I talked, so two times ago, we went through the, the first section of the, of the so-called household codes where we dealt with how a husband and wife in their Christian marriage as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church are to relate to one another. Um, and the submission uh, 
leadership is so very like the relationship between the church and our Lord. Uh, the church, we are willing submitters to the love and the grace and the direction of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as a wife is to willingly submit to the leadership of her husband. And the other side of that coin, husbands are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a model to have. And then the last time we spoke, we dealt with the other two portions of the, of the household, the relationship between children and parents. Uh, and in there we learned that children, no surprise, are to obey their parents in the Lord. And they're commanded, the first commandment, as the scripture says, with a blessing, uh, honor your father and your mother, that it will be well with you and you will live long. And fathers are exhorted not to cause their children to be angry, but train them up in the training and the admonition, uh, the training and the discipline of the Lord. And the last part in the scripture has to deal with the relationship between slaves and masters. And uh, we discussed that. We did talk about the how you apply that in today's environment. And that application is, is somewhat tenuous. Uh, slavery is not legal anywhere in the world that I know of, any part of the free world it's not. Uh, there is a lot of discussion about what goes on in, in, uh, in China with the Uyghurs, uh, and we don't have a lot of direct knowledge about how that goes. Uh, but we have the loose connection here with the relationship between workers and employers, and you can apply some of the principles of that with them. But now we come to um, the last section here. Paul no longer uses the imperative to walk. He begins with uh, uh, an adjective uh, that says, finally. He's indicating that what, it, what are his final thoughts before he ends the epistle, and that's where we're going to land this evening, or where we have landed. I'll give you a little outline of just this section of 10 through 20. So the first three verses, 10 through 13, put on the armor. The what is be strong in the Lord in verse 10. The how is to put on God's armor in verse 11a, the why is to stand against the devil's strategy in 11b and 12. And the conclusion is, put on God's armor in order to stand. The next section, stand with the armor in 614 through 20. The mandate is to stand. The method is to be armed. Four parts to that. The preparation, the girdle of truth, 
protecting the chest, the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness in 614C, the feet, the preparation that's being shod with the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace in chapter 6, verse 15, and the body, the shield of faith in verse 16. And then the last is to receive the final pieces of armor in verses 17 through 20. The mandate is to take. And what are you taking? Taken for the head, the helmet of salvation in, in verse 17a, and, for the, and the sword of the Spirit in verse 17b. And then the method in verses 18 and 20, praying and watching in verse 18, and then a petition specifically by Paul for him in the last two verses there for utterance in bold speech uh, to uh, uh, protect and proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So here we go. I will throw up the Greek there and I'll put the, uh, the English there. Uh, you, you may see a little bit of difference between what I'm writing on my slides and what you see in the New American Standard or whatever, transla whatever other translations you may have. And um, we, will, uh, uh, we will avoid uh, at, all possible, at, at, all, at all cost here uh, any attempt to turn this into a Greek lesson. That is not my, not my desire. And so I'm going to scan my, my notes here and make sure that I don't do that. And you can, uh, you can wave the flag if it's starting to, uh, whoops, like, well, that's, we're not going to go that fast. All right. So finally, the English here, finally, be strengthened in the Lord, that is, in the might of his strength. And it is translated like that because that verb, uh, I believe, is best translated. It's a passive verb to be strengthened in the Lord. And then that is specifically in the strength of his might. Some translations read, be strengthened in the Lord and in the might of his strength or the strength of his might as if those are two different propositions. It's one proposition, be strengthened in the Lord and specifically in the sphere, the might of his strength. And the order of the verbs is that way because that's kind of the way they lay out and it, uh, it makes the most sense that way. And if you want to, uh, oh, by the way, anything that I say that uh, offends you or you have questions about, feel free to talk to me afterwards, and, and I will try to uh, uh, ease your offensive uh, or your sensitive sensibilities and answer your questions to the best of my uh, lack of ability here. How's that for a disclaimer? In chapter 11, we continue, or excuse me, yeah, in verse 11, we continue. So he's, he's said to be strengthened, and now he's going to say, well, how is it going to happen? So put on the full armor of God in order that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Uh, the full armor is uh, the panoply, that's the equi complete equipment of a uh, heavily armed uh, soldier, full armor. Uh, and it's metaphorically here. We're not, we're not gearing up in battle gear uh, like Pastor Dave did when he went over to Iraq uh, back uh, some years ago. Uh, it's all spiritual. Uh, it's all metaphorical. Uh, 
the, uh, the put on is uh, uh, to, it, to put on any kind of a thing, uh, to clothe yourself, to put in, to put on something to wear. And being able is uh, our familiar word uh, dunamis, from, well, dunamai, to be able, uh, and that's to stand. And this is defensive. It is not offensive. There is only in all this whole raft here of things that we're going to get in our, in our kit bag here, every one of those is a defensive weapon except for one, and it's used defensively. So now in verse 12, Paul explains uh, the nature of the warfare that we're involved in here. He says, Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So our nature is not against one another. We're not against... We're not in a warfare with the people of the world. Uh, we're to love the people of the world and share the good news of the gospel of Christ with them so that they can understand and they will trust him as their savior. Uh, so we, uh, we're not of the world, but we are in the world. We can't leave the world because we have to witness to the world. So our fight's not against them. Our fight's against what we cannot see. Uh, what we can feel the, uh, the result of, perhaps, or see the result of in the things we encounter and the things that go on in the world and the, and the insane things that uh, uh, some people do to one another. So the spiritual forces of wickedness and the heavenly places, uh, it's not a, that's not a new description. It's... it's it's not a new enemy. It's a further description of the enemies that were discussed earlier with their locale now identified. So there, are you saying, Mike, that these demons and, uh, and all that live in heaven? Well, that's what the Scripture says. That's where they are right now. We have evidence of that in the Scripture. Where was, where was the devil when he had the conversation with, uh, with the Lord about... Uh, trying to mess with Lot. Uh, he gathered with the sons of God that were coming before the Lord and, and talked with him. He had free, free access to heaven, and he does now. But we know also that there will come a time when uh, he will be cast out and will no longer have that access. But today, he does. And now Satan's only one person, one thing, one being, uh, and He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know anything. He's a lot smarter than we'll ever be. Uh, but he can only be in one place at a time. And, but he has perhaps billions of, uh, of demons that, uh, that do his bidding and cause all sorts of havoc. And, uh, and our, our battle uh, through the spiritual armor that God gives us as believers is, uh, is against them. Now, therefore, or for this reason, uh, take up the full armor of God. 
so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Paul concludes that the believers need to put on the full armor of God so we can stand against the onslaughts of the devil. Um, the diatuta, the cla that clausal, causal clause conclusion actually means on account of this or for this reason, but therefore works, and so we, we put that here. So in 611, they were told to put on the full armor. Uh, now it's take up the full armor, essentially restating verse 11. We don't need to go through the Greek. You don't care what an aorist passive subjunctive is. I will reiterate that this is defensive. It's not about making advances. It's about holding on to the territory that's already been won. Let me know if I'm going too fast or too slow. So in the first three verses, 10 through 13, we discussed the armor of God in a general way. Now in uh, 6, 14 through 16, Paul gives details concerning the various pieces of armor that will aid believers against the assault of the wicked spiritual forces. And I got to I got to say that uh, uh, participating in, in, uh, in this year's Vacation Bible School with the uh, Keepers of the Kingdom and uh, being, the, uh, being the elder advisor uh, to the king uh, gave me a lot of opportunity to get an advanced look at. I had no idea at that juncture uh, as we were doing that skit that uh, less than two months later, that I would be standing here teaching about the things that we talked about in, uh, in Vacation Bible School skits. So you never can tell what you're going to learn in VBS. Even if you're 80 years old, you're going to learn something, okay? <laughs> so verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now you see the, I left the, uh, the all caps in there that was, that was placed in the New American Standard. And that is a common thing in English translations in the New Testament. Uh, if there is a quote or a partial quote uh, or essence of a quote of an Old Testament uh, passage in the New Testament, it's generally listed in all caps. And uh, there is uh, no difference here. Uh, I did not copy down the references. They're both in, uh, in this verse, they're both from Isaiah. Uh, but uh, uh, what we have is, uh, as I said, that believers are told not to advance, but to stand and hold their ground and not to retreat in the face of wicked spiritual leaders. So we'll talk about first with a the girding your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of rightness. So there are two weapons here. We'll take the, uh, we'll take the belt first. Uh, so the verb is uh, uh, perizonumi, uh, or perizonumi, and it's a, it's a participle. So uh, having girded, 
and it's to put on something, to gird something, put on something, and most likely a belt, uh, and the belt that they make reference to is a, uh, a, a ball tooth or a breech-like apron which uh, hung around the waist tightly and uh, under the uh, breastplate armor and made of loose or sewn thongs of leather and it protected the, the thighs and it was also used uh, to fasten of articles of clothing to or to tuck in uh, long skirts of, of a robe. Now, Roman soldiers, I don't think, wore robes historically. That would interfere greatly with them being able to run. And when they went from place to place, uh, their marching, I'm told, is more like running at a, at a jog. Uh, that's rapid marching. Uh, and uh, so you, you, you don't want a robe hanging around your ankles to do that. So... Uh, but they might have. They might want to tuck their tunic up. Uh, they might want to put their wep- their 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 sword, uh, other weapons they had. It's kind of like. It's kind of like the duty belt. Uh, I know David is familiar with a duty belt and and carrying all sorts of uh, uh, tools of destruction on that when he was in the army. Uh, if you think about the policeman you see in uniform today, they've got this thing wrapped around their waist and it has got all sorts of equipment in it. They've got, they've got at least one gun in there. They've got a, uh, a taser in there. Uh, uh, they've probably got uh, handcuffs and uh, maybe, a, uh, maybe a nightstick, uh, spare ammunition uh, for, their, uh, for their pistol and all sorts of... It's a wonder they can even sit in a car with this thing on. So that, that would be the modern-day equivalent, I guess, of this, uh, of this belt. Uh, so uh, we being, being in the Navy and, and considering what our, what our mission was, particularly on submarines, we didn't, uh, we didn't necessarily have a lot of, of uh, use for the, uh, for the duty belt. Uh, we... Uh, you symbolically carried one. If you had the guard, they would. You had this. It was a utility belt, and you could strap that on. That meant you had the duty. Okay, so that's what we have. And uh, let's see if I have a picture. Oh, I do. All right. So um, I don't know if this is what it looks like or not. There were so many pictures of this available. And uh, so I grabbed this one because I thought it really looked neat. And it had the, the, uh, the stuff on it that were, was kind of described in the writing about it. These, uh, the part that, that hangs down. See, is my pointer on? No, it's not. It's still not. I think it will. I'm sorry. follow through. So this part here hanging down, they all have that uh, that sort of hangs down and provides some protection for the thighs and then clips that they could put other things onto the belt with. This one has, uh, this one has a, a, a belt buckle type fastener and uh, others are de- designed similarly. So they call it a girdle, a singular militaire or a baltus. Uh, as I said earlier, made of loose 
sewn or loose or sewn thongs of leather for protecting the thighs and also used to fasten articles of clothing or to tuck in the long skirts of a robe or the soldier's tunic. So there is the belt. And we call this the belt of truth. The breastplate, I didn't give you the verbiage. Well, it's the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate, a similar design, it could be a, uh, it could be a coat of mail. Uh, it could be a fancier rig like this with uh, layer, layer upon layer of metal with overlapping uh, and then uh, tied together with uh, a uh, lanyard in the front uh, or belt buckles belt, bolting the, the various pieces of it together. And it had something on the, uh, something around the bottom of it where you could actually fasten it to the, uh, to the baltus, uh, the, the girdle belt, which could come in handy because, as I said earlier, when they're walking, they're really running. And if you're running and you had something like this on, you wouldn't want that thing flapping up and down as you're running. It would be very uncomfortable and you could probably knock some of your teeth out if you weren't really careful. So uh, it's, it's held down so that it can't jump up and down like that. Uh, and uh, um, uh, Polybius wrote that the common soldier had a brass breastplate covering his chest to protect his heart, while the wealthier soldiers had a coat of chain mail. And like the girdle around the waist, this is defensive armor, and this is the breastplate, which is righteousness. So, so far we have, we have truth and righteousness in our army of uh, defensive weapons. And we continue, having, sh having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, shod your feet. Uh, I th you think of shod, I think of shoeing a horse, right? Uh, and anyway, they use that terminology. So it means, uh, it, can be, it can mean to put on sandals or shoes. So you shod, you put on sandals or shoes on your feet. And those are representative of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, Roman legionnaires, they wore a heavy sandal uh, called a caliga, uh, or I, that's the way I pronounce it. It's a low half boot, soles made, several, several layers of leather, uh, averaging two centimeters thick. So two centimeters, about three quarters of an inch uh, of thick. That's that's you call thick-soled shoes, and uh, they were studded with uh, hollow-headed hobnails. So uh, they not only had thick soles, they had positraction, and and they could. Yep, it was independent positraction. No uh, no limited slip differential. It was a no-slip differential. Uh, they were they were fastened on. It's not like flip-flops that we have now, you can't run in those things, they'll fly off your feet. Uh, but they were tied, they were tied with leather songs, th leather thongs halfway up the shin, shins, and in the wintertime, uh, they would be stuffed with either wool or fur, 
to help keep your pinkies warm in the cold weather. So it's kind of like you, you put on socks in the wintertime, uh, made out of wool or fur, and, uh, and you work that way. Uh, believers who have been shod with the readiness should be able to stand. The gospel of peace uh, further describes the readiness. Believers are ready or prepared to stand against the onslaughts of the evil forces because they are firmly grounded in the gospel of peace. They're not necessarily or contextually involved in sharing the gospel of peace because who's our fight with? It's with the demons and the devil and they're going to listen to the gospel of peace anyway. So the gospel of peace is, the preparation of the gospel of peace is our protection knowing what uh, that means for us. I keep wanting to hit the shift button and advance the slides. It doesn't work, and it's not worked several times. So there we are, uh, a, a picture of, a depiction of the, uh, of the sandals. Uh, you can see here the straps that would go around and maybe go up to the shins that would keep these things on, and they're sandal-like. You can't get a sense of the thickness of the soles, that I, and I suspect that looking at these uh, they're not uh, authentic in that regard because I don't think they have a three-quarter inch thick sole. Uh, they do have, they are studded. Uh, I, you can't tell whether these studs are, are hollow hobnails that have just worn down or whether they're decorative, but you get the picture of, of what it's all about here uh, with, uh, with the uh, shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace, you will note, and I hope this protects us, Pastor, that I have put fair use cited on my slides here because I was told that you could do that and uh, keep, the <laughs> keep the angry people from, from our door that uh, think we're stealing their stuff because that's not our, our intentions to do. In addition to these, so I have all these things. So we've the, gospel, the, uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all these, having taken up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now this one, I, had a, I was taken aback with this thing, okay? Uh, again, our buddy Polybius describes the uh, thurios, uh, as having a convex surface, so it's shaped like this, uh, and it measures um, three quarters by one and a quarter meters. So this thing is about mm, two and a half feet wide and four feet tall. So four feet, that's probably about right there. All right. So there probably weren't too many uh, men of my stature that were in the were in the Roman legionnaire here and carrying one of these things around. Uh, so some more. It it is it is made of wood planks that are glued together. 
and they're covered on the outside with canvas and then with calfskin. And the top and the bottom edges of this thing are covered with metal to protect them when the shield hit the ground, keep it from, make it last longer. And on the center front, there was an iron boss, uh, and a boss is, uh, well, you'll see, I'll show you a, a, a picture here in a minute, but probably something about so big around and maybe stuck out about that far uh, that would help if, if somebody shot an arrow at you and it happened to hit right on the boss, it would deflect the arrow or deflect the spear. They said that's what the use of it was. There's a whole lot of surface area there, not around where that boss is. Uh, and uh, uh, so I don't know how effective it was in causing stones and heavy arrows to bounce off, but that was the description of it. So let's look at a picture of this thing. So here is, uh, this is a... Uh, a what's left over of one that's in a museum. And uh, uh, I gave you the description of it as given by uh, Polybius. Uh, and the iron boss would be, the, the, it's gone off of this shield, but it would be right there in the center. So two and a half feet by four feet. So keep that in mind. That is the... Uh, Shield of faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. All right. Uh, the helmet of salvation. Let's look at that first. It's a... Uh, uh, you got some sort of a metal pot that uh, you put on the head, the, uh, uh, it may, I don't know if it's a one-size-fit-all or if they're a custom made for each individual. I, I'd, I tend to think they're probably close. I hope they're not one-size-fits-all. You can see how that's going to be problematic on both ends, the too little and the too big end. And uh, so you, you've got a, a, metal, a, a metal container. It could, be, uh, it could be iron. It could be steel. It could be copper, brass, bronze. And uh, then lined with uh, uh, some leather or something to give it some sort of a cushioning effect. And then uh, as they developed, they, uh, uh, they came up with uh, little things that would hang down on the side to provide some protection for the temple area of your, of your head and for your ears. And then a, uh, a part hanging down in the back uh, to protect the back of your neck. Uh, and later ones, the, the picture that I'm going to show you doesn't have it, but later ones were equipped with pieces that came down in front. Maybe in the movies you've seen these where this guy's got this helmet on and he's got this thing that comes down, covers up his nose, and his two eyes can look out there, but he's, his nose is protected. And that was a feature that was, that was added on later on. Let's, uh, let's look at that. So there's my... Uh, uh, there's my helmet of salvation. Uh, no, uh, no protection for the, uh, for the nose in front, but you do have the earpieces and you do have the protection for the neck in the back and uh, there, your helmet. And let's keep going here. The sword. All right, Scripture talks about two different kinds. In the New Testament Scripture talks about two different kinds of swords. 
there is uh, uh, two Greek words. There's the makaira and the romphia. Uh, the makaira, uh, that comes up 29 times or so in the New Testament, three times by Paul, uh, was a short sword. Um, the weapon pictured here is uh, about two feet in overall length, so the uh, blade length was 18 to 20 inches or so, and that would, quali- that would qualify as a, a short sword, as a makaira. Uh, and it was double-edged for, uh, for slashing, and a very, very sharp point, good for stabbing. Uh, and so you can see with its, with its diminutive size, it could be very useful in, in short, uh, close quarters for a defensive type of engagement. The other sword uh, is the Ramphaya, and it's only talked about seven times in the New Testament, uh, once in Luke, and the other six times are all in the book of Revelation, never by Paul. Paul doesn't say that word anywhere in any of his writings, and it's given as a large, broad, uh, Thracian sword. So now, to muddy up the works a little bit, the uh, Septuagint, uh, both terms can translate to the same Hebrew word, cherev, which is the predominant Hebrew word for a sword. Uh, that somewhat blurs the distinction. Uh, I think uh, we go with the best information we have that uh, the makaira, specifically that word used by, uh, by Paul here, is the, uh, the short sword, because that's the way it's described in the other literature that the soldier would carry. And, <coughs> excuse me. So, um, here's my uh, cartoon drawing of uh, the armor of God. And I like this guy. Uh, why do I like him? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> well, you can see by looking that he's left-handed. So, uh, uh, yeah, come on. I mean, a man after my own heart. But now, if if this if this thing is indeed four feet tall, then this guy is pushing seven feet. Uh, so uh, no five foot five uh, legionnaire Romans. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I would be. Uh, I would be. Well, you, you just can imagine the comedy of what that would look like. Uh, so you have all of the. You have all of the elements here. Uh, you've got the uh, the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The preparation of the gospel of peace, and these sandals are in fact tied up high on his ankles. The helmet of salvation, still no nose protection, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did I? I think I missed something, didn't I? I didn't tell you what the shield was. So the 
I know this is entertaining watching me get bound for. There. I knew I'd find it. So, um, what does it, yeah, I didn't tell you what the shield does. Well, the shield uh, covers the whole front of a person of my stature. So I could, I could set it on the ground and then I could get down behind it and they'd never get me. For the big guy that you could see there, its purpose with the, uh, with the leather on it, the, the little bullet nose there, was um, uh, to protect against the, uh, uh, the flaming arrows and uh, was, they would, it would catch, the arrows would stick in it, uh, and uh, uh, the, the shield would put out the flame most of the time on the arrows, would protect the man, the, the warrior carrying that, and uh, uh, spears as well would uh, be stopped by that. If they would have to put this thing down and uh, uh, de-spirit or de-arrow it after if it got that heavy and they hadn't been hit anywhere else and they were still in the uh, uh, in the game. We did talk about the sword, but I didn't I give you the sword of the spirits is the only offensive weapon. Uh, it is the uh, it is the spoken word to be used against spiritual wickedness of the devil. It's not preaching the gospel, but speaking God's word against his forces, speaking God's word in Christ's name, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the only, the only, only, only offensive weapon in the pieces of armor and is not used to make advances again, as I said, but rather to enable the believer to stand firm in the midst of satanic warfare. Is there anything? Yes, the entire armor... The entire armor, all of it, all the pieces is necessary in the spiritual warfare against the devil and his demons. Um, the exhortation in Paul here is to both individual believers and the corporate body. Um, the corporate body in this case in Ephesians is believing Jews and Gentiles in one body. The church, the body of believers, is in this warfare together. And we looked at the helmet, anything there. Talked about that. Here's the whole picture. So in uh, verses 18, 19, and 20, uh, there, Paul likes to do this. This is a fairly short, but there, uh, verses 18, 19, 20 are all one sentence. Uh, and they give us the method and manner for taking uh, that remaining two pieces of armor that were discussed in verse 17. Let's break it down. Uh, you need to have the English words. There we go. Through every prayer and petition, praying at every opportunity in the Spirit, and to this end, keeping alert with all persistence and petition for the saints. How we appropriate this. Um, so, 
praying at every opportunity, a, a, a preposition, and it's further described by two prepositional phrases at every opportunity in the Spirit. And uh, for this purpose, to this end, for this purpose, to not advance the slides like that, Mike. For all the saints and believers are to be involved in the struggle, all believers at all times praying for all believers. They, they just, um, preposition, pause, uh, all, every, it's used four times in this verse. You got it here, you got it here, you got it here, and you got it here. Through every prayer, that's pause. Praying at every opportunity, that's pause. Keeping alert with all persistence, pause. And petition for all the saints. So all, 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 all. Uh, every prayer and petition at every opportunity in the Spirit. Keeping alert with all persistence and petitions for all the saints. That's pretty all-encompassing type of prayer that we can be involved in and need to be involved in to appropriate uh, all those uh, pieces of a spiritual armor. And then Paul has, Paul has uh, some specific prayers here. <coughs> and this, by the way, uh, is a useful section uh, for those doubters that don't think Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. Uh, and there are some. Uh, we accept it because it's pretty clear from the get-go where he's, and verse, chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, I, Paul, <laughs> an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty well identifying him. But there are many that think, or some that think, <coughs> that he didn't write the book. This section kind of contradicts that because now here he is. Uh, especially for me, pray especially. So all that other stuff you were doing over there in verse, in verse 18, it's continuing, same sentence. Especially for me, that utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And let's jump on. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I, ought to, as I ought to speak. So he's, two, get, two further details he's talking about here. The mystery of the gospel. Recall what the mystery is. The mystery is the union of believing Jews and Gentiles into one body that Paul talked about. Uh, Paul is speaking of being an ambassador in chains for the mystery of the gospel and asked that he might be able to speak as boldly about the mystery as he might, particularly possibly when he meets the assaults of his accusers in prison. <coughs> Excuse me. Some summary points.
We're on a mission to make disciples, and this, mission, this section makes it clear that we're not in a battle with the people of the world. We talked about that earlier. We can't give the gospel to them and fight with them to the death at the same time. <coughs> I guess unless you're George Patton in World War II. While we're on mission, we need to be conscious of the angelic conflict going on all around us. We're in a battle with the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenlies, not against flesh and blood. We've been given spiritual armor that is capable of completely protecting us in, in battle. Each piece of the spiritual armor has a function. Uh, you can see what the real stuff, how it functions in, in keeping the real soldier, the skillful, skillful one, protected in battle. And you can see the reasons behind the metaphorical use of this armor in protecting the believers in the battle against the forces of darkness. Our strategy is defensive. We're not, we're not gaining ground. We're not advancing ground. We're not going to take the next hill. We're going to hold what's already been won. And we appropriate the armor through walking in the light with an active and effective prayer life. And I believe that's it. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed. Father, we love you and we so much enjoy being able to uh, talk about your word, communicate it to one another, see the essence of what uh, uh, you have given us to protect us in the battle in which we're engaged. And as we go about this battle, trusting you for our safety and our protection and our deliverance, we keep in mind that as we're doing this, we're staying on mission and sharing the gospel of the good news of the gospel of Christ. They died for our sins and rose from the dead. And if we but trust and believe that, we have eternal salvation and we can enjoy it now. And then we make disciples of those that have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and help teach and prepare in the power of the Holy Spirit, them to grow to full, full maturity and take their place in the battle wearing the, wearing the spiritual armor that we have to fight against the forces of darkness. We thank you for this time together, Father. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit will make it real and clear up any confusion, any errors that I might have expressed and help us to apply these things in our lives so that we can grow in the sphere of knowledge and the sphere of grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I ask for same tra safe transit home now in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all.